0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve
0: with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's
2: up, guys? We are finally back. You know, I apologize for my absences during the, uh, during the off season. Uh, I'm not much of a draft content guy as much as I love the draft and I'll probably watch every second of it when it finally kicks off next Thursday uh, and everything. I, I'm not much for draft content. I, I don't, um, I don't have access to the films or at least I don't know where to access film and watch prospects and things like that. It's, it's that, that part never, I like, I don't watch the combine. It's like that part just doesn't intrigue me uh, at all. And, um, You know, like I said, as much as I love watching the draft and learning about these players, I kind of like to do it all in one, you know, fell swoop, if you will, over that draft weekend. As versus, you know, uh, doing all of the homework and studying for guys. And I think it's more so not about being lazy or anything. It's about like falling in love with a prospect and watching him go somewhere else, kind of thing. It's like I think I would just much rather. You know, learn about them from Daniel Jeremiah and whoever the other draft. You know, Todd McShay and uh, and those guys. Uh, you know, for them to teach me as to why this is a good pick or a bad one or so on and so forth uh, for these players, why it's a good fit for the team that drafted them, and and so on. So, but in the vein of that, that is actually the kind of theme for this uh, episode, this retro rewind. Uh, episode, Our good friend Lauren Cox from Locked on Bears will join us uh, here in just a moment. Uh, we're going to be talking about Bears Colts week one from 2008 because it was a outstanding rookie debut for Matt Forte. You know, just trying to think of games where a Bears rookie had an outstanding first game uh, in a bear uniform and this was the best choice that I could think of. Um, and, uh, so we, uh, Lauren and I both went back on YouTube, found the game, watched it and, uh, had a pretty comprehensive conversation, uh, about the game. Uh, you know, just how, how the teams were put together, you know, life under Lovey Smith and, uh, you know, the broadcast itself, Al Michaels, John Madden, that's an old school, you know, uh, team, if ever it was back in 2008, the, you know, and all that kind of stuff. We can, we kind of have a we have, you know, and it's more my fault than anybody else's obviously being the host and whatnot, but, uh, have a little trouble ending the show, uh, at the end, uh, there. So if you want to skip like the last 20 minutes, I don't blame you. Uh, you know, but when we talk about a lot of fun stuff, we just, uh, kind of get far off track as far as, you know, what we were actually talking about when we finished talking about the game itself. So I don't blame you. Uh, if you skip on on the last 20 minutes or so, uh, of it, but, uh, it's good stuff if you want you know you know uh tough it out or whatever, but uh like i said it's uh, I wouldn't blame you if you skipped it uh though, so anyway, guys, um had a great time talking to Lauren had a lot of fun watching and reliving uh this football game, looking forward to uh doing another one of these uh somewhere uh down the line but uh so let's go ahead and dive right into it. This is myself and Lauren Cox. Uh, reviewing uh, 2008 Bears Colts Week One on the Retro Rewind episode of the Bear Stock Underground. So let's get to it. Finally, we have come back with our very first Retro Rewind of 2023. Uh, this is the fifth one that we've done. Uh, we did four in the last off season, uh, and and our great friend from uh, Locked On Bears, Lauren Cox, back to do his second retro rewind. And I thought that it would be a good thing to have him uh, review a game with me that he was actually alive for, uh, having done the Bears Niners from '85. What ten, eleven years before you were born, uh, Lauren? So uh, I think it, uh, you know, that hey, maybe we'll have one that he might actually. Remember, as a an alive human being, Lauren Cox is back, everybody. Lauren, welcome back, man.
1: Hey, I apologize for my youth uh, disrupting the <laughs> the games that you want to be able to do, but no, I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, they can't. You can't all be old fogies like me, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean, this was. Uh, 2000, 2008, week one, Bears-Colts, and um, we wanted to kind of, or at least the original idea, the first game that Laura and I were talking about, which we may do somewhere down the line, is was Bears-Chargers uh, from 2011, a.k.a. the game where Jay Cutler broke his thumb and that pretty much sank the rest of that uh, season, especially at that point. And the Bears were a five-game winning streak and, and all that kind of stuff. Cutler goes down, and then the season goes down the tubes. But... Um, I was trying to think, you know, I'm not the big draft content guy, but maybe try to do something that would tie in to the draft, which is next Thursday. And uh, the, the the first thing that came to mind was, you know, was, uh, you know, trying to think in, in recent bare memory, uh, any rookie that had an awesome debut and the, the first person, that, you know, like Lauren and I, you were talking before or before we were, started recording, was the first person that came to mind was Devin Hester, in his debut in 2006, but that was just one moment, him returning the punt uh, towards the end of the game, who actually had an awesome debut, and it came to me, Matt Forte, uh, rookie, uh, you know, second-round pick in 2008, was, was starter day one for the Bears, week one against the Colts, had an awesome debut against the Colts. So that's the game we're talking about, week one, 2008 Bear Col- Bears-Colts in the newly anointed Lucas Oil Stadium.
1: Yeah, so. that was that was like the first detail. Like as soon as we started the broadcast, They're like the debut game at Lucas Oil Stadium, and, and I think they mentioned okay, they'd done a couple preseason games, yeah. there, but we're not. No one's going to count that as like this was the first regular season game. And I honestly, I, I I mean to be full disclosure with everybody, I was 12 years old when this game was played, so like I don't I don't remember the Colts playing anywhere but Lucas Oil Stadium. Like they've always right. played at Lucas Oil Stadium in my mind, and I know the other places apparently like right next door to there, but I just, Literally. there's yeah. zero place for it in my brain. Yeah,
2: um, and I was there in, in, there as in the other place, the RCA Dome, or as it was known forever as the Hoosier Dome uh, in Indianapolis, uh, the site of WrestleMania Eight uh, for those who remember that kind of thing. Um, and I was there in 06 when the Colts and Texans, ironically, for week one uh, of 06, uh, I was there, a buddy of mine, huge Colts fan, had season tickets and everything. And as we were walking to our seats, we could see in the, like in the windows in the hallway that we're walking, you could see into Lucas Oil Stadium. Like it was, it hasn't, you know, obviously there was two years away from, from its debut, but the, like one of the walls wasn't completed yet. And you could see into the heart of the, of the stadium and what was what really struck me was that three years later in '09, when I went there for the first time, I could not believe how big it was on the inside. Like it didn't really translate as I'm standing there, you know, across the street from it or across the lot uh, from it and, and, you know, looking into the inside of something that was incomplete uh, and everything. But then when in 2009 I went there to see the Colts play the 49ers when our old uh, buddy Samurai Mike Singletary was the head coach and um just walking in and it was just like it, it was almost like that 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 moment in the Willy Wonka and the chocolate factor when he opens the tiny door and it's the, the chocolate room or whatever and it's looks a million times larger from the out inside than it did from the outside. It was it's really a remarkable uh stadium. Um and uh beautiful, beautiful stadium on it. Something that I hope the Bears aspire. To have in Arlington Heights because that place is awesome. So, yeah,
1: and it's such a nice little area to kind of get in and out of, too. And it's there's a nice little like grounds all around there. It's, it's a really cool place.
2: Yeah, it's in the heart of downtown uh, Indianapolis. And um, I've been there, was at the RCA Dome in 06, and I was at the Lucas Oil twice in 09 and uh, 2011. So, anyway, so let's set up this game, Lauren. It's week one. Uh, of 2008 the Bears are coming off of their Super Bowl uh, loser jinx season where they actually went into the 07 season favored to do it again and go back to the Super Bowl having gone in 2006 and, and lost to these Colts um, but that thing went off the rails almost immediately <laughs> and the losing week one to the Chargers and never really seemed to quite get their footing to finish 7-9 uh, and nine, uh, in 2007 they had you know. The, the thing that they had on their side in 06 was, was health, and, and mostly everybody stayed healthy uh, throughout the year in 06. and 07, that wasn't the case. Tommy Harris went down. Mike Brown, we lost week one uh, to the Chargers. Uh, um, uh, Nate Vasher was in and out of the lineup, so on and so forth, throughout the lineup, and the Bears paid for it, you know, finishing 7-9, and nine, a losing record coming off of that, that historic 2006 season, we come into 2008, and, well, first of all, going into 07, Jerry Angelo, I mean, we could do an entire show just on Jerry Angelo, Lauren. You and I, we could just sit here and talk about Jerry Angelo, because (laughs) I know that so many Bear fans, including most of the people probably listening to this right now, are thinking, Jerry Angelo, what a terrible general manager he was. And they're not wrong. They're not right either. He's, he... He he had so many hits, but the thing was, it's like his misses were huge. Number one being how this game was affected because in 2007, after the historic Super Bowl run, he decided that uh, rather than keep Benson and Thomas Jones together, he was going to trade Thomas Jones away and put all of his eggs in the Cedric Benson basket. Uh, not to mention we traded Jones for a swap of a second round pick. Like we didn't get a second round pick from the jets. We swapped second round picks with the jets to, to give them Thomas Jones and don't even get me started about the 2007 draft. That's just, if you want to talk about a miss? What a disaster that, I mean, just read some of the names and whew, wow, 2007, what a disaster. But anyway, we put all our eggs in the Cedric Benson basket. He was pretty awful and actually got hurt, missed like the second half uh, of the season when, you know, the other Adrian Peterson, our Adrian Peterson, uh, took over and you know, it basically hum- hamstrung the offense. Brian Greasy, ineffective. Uh, you know, Rex Grossman got benched. Kyle Orton is third string and, and all that kind of stuff. Then comes 2008. Forte is our pick in the second round and then shortly after that, Cedric Benson personally implodes. Do you remember what it was that put him over the top and, and, and caused the Bears to cut him?
1: I don't remember speci- I remember like I remember this being a thing, but I don't remember what exactly happened.
2: Well I I think it was a couple of things, but the the nail in the coffin for Cedric Benson as a Chicago Bear was like a drunken boat accident. Oh yeah.
1: That sounds familiar. I remember it, a mugshot.
2: Yeah, and it was like, yeah, the mugshot. Oh man, he did not look good in that mugshot. And it was like in June too. It was like in during the summer, like you know, training camp, maybe about a month or so away this happens. And I think it was like maybe the second or so incident of the off-season after this horrible season he'd had in in 07 and you know, Jerry Angelo cut his losses and cut him and we then put all our eggs in the Mad Forte basket, uh, you know, a rookie second round uh pick. And, you know, I remember being nervous and excited all at the same time because I was excited that the Bears had chosen uh Mad Forte.
1: Yeah, and it felt like that offseason was I mean, not that it was a complete time of fixing mistakes or just admitting admitting mistakes, but it did feel like some progress in there. I mean, they talked about in the game broadcast, you know, the bears did not retain or we're not starting their, their leading passer, rusher and receiver from yeah. the year before. Like yeah. some of that was not be, was, was because they were so bad the previous year. Some of it was just, you know, like they got rid of Bernard Barry even though he was still playing well, but there was clearly like some, they kind of acknowledged, okay, 2007, a lot of stuff went wrong. Let's see if we can fix things here. Let's move on from our highly drafted running back pretty early, which is like a big thing to admit and instead of to keep trying to force that to become a thing. Right. And let's, you know, let's draft another one and let's, let's, let's make sure that we kind of build things out a little bit more securely there and yet still. There were their own mistakes in that process with in the start of this game as well. Chris Williams, your first round pick that year, injured from the get go too. So there's yeah. there's cleaning up some mistakes and there's adding more.
2: Well, which is why a lot of Bear fans started having you know flashbacks and and you know uh, night terrors when Tevin Jenkins happened in in 2021 because this was kind of a repeat of Chris Williams where Chris Williams had back problems at Vanderbilt uh, in college and. The Bears drafted him in the first round of the two thousand eight draft anyway, and almost immediately in training camp he reaggravates the injury has to have surgery missed a significant portion of his rookie season, which is something that will factor heavily into this game uh, and we'll talk about that as we get further along into it uh, and everything and you know that's what you know everybody was kind of freaking out about like, It's like is Chris Williams all over again, but Chris Williams was never the player that he was drafted. To be, whereas Tevin Jenkins actually seemed to you know bounce back from the uh, from the back surgery to actually be a decent player, or at least he was in in year two uh, anyway. So, but yeah, it was they were definitely getting Chris Williams flashbacks with that Tevin Jenkins, uh, you know, injury and having to sit out most of uh, his rookie season in twenty twenty one. So, so here we are, where it's week one. We've we've put Kyle Orton back in the. Starting quarterback position, we've got a rookie who's never taken an NFL snap at uh, running back, and our starting wide receivers for this game are Brandon Lloyd and Devin Hester. Um, also <laughs> contributing Marty Booker, who returned to the Bears in free agency uh, in 2008. And to say that people weren't expecting much from the Bears in 2008 was putting it lightly. I mean, you look at this offense. Kyle Orton, who was our third string quarterback in 2007, uh, a rookie uh, or second round pick at, at running back. And, you know, Bert, um, no more Bernard Barian, who's, you know, who got his payday with the Vikings. We have Brandon Lloyd, Marty Booker, Devin Hester. Those are our top three receivers. You had Rasheed Davis in there uh, as well. And uh, but oh, but our, we have tight ends Desmond Clark and Greg Olson, and don't get me started on Greg Olson. So it was it was not. I mean, despite all that we're bringing back in on defense with Erlacher, Tommy Harris, Lance Briggs, Peanut Vasher, uh, the whole lot of them, you know, because the Bears were about you know were putting together an offense that might average ten points a game. Nobody really expecting much uh, from this team uh, going in, and they're facing a a Colts team. That, uh, you know, probably would have gone to the Super Bowl if not having to be in the same conference as the undefeated New England Patriots in 2007.
1: I loved that during the game broadcast, I don't know if it was Madden or Michaels, but they said, you know, they talked to Kyle Orton in the lead up to the game and asked him, you know, with this kind of change at the wide receiver position, who's your go-to guy? You know, who's the guy that you're looking for that that you think is going to be the one you go to? And he said Rasheed Davis. Rasheed Davis. (laughs) The guy who had three starts to his career up to that point, and the previous season had 165 receiving yards. Like, that's the guy. And, of course, like, throughout the game, he catches, like, what, two passes for some odd yards. Like, but he was if, barely a factor in that if one. If
2: you think about it, it makes sense because in 2007, we still had Moose and Muhammad. We still had Bernard Berrien. So Rasheed Davis was down on the depth chart. So who would, who would Kyle Orton have been throwing passes to in practice as a third stringer slash scout team quarterback probably Rasheed Davis so I mean they had a rapport doesn't make him the number one receiver it just makes him the guy that he knows you know like I know when he's going to make his cuts I know how this you know so on and so forth and, <laughs> I mean as hilarious as it was to hear Madden and Michaels talk about that it's like yeah Rasheed Davis could be their number one guy and I was like what what the <laughs> hell it's like what are they talking about and then it was like yeah and then sitting here th- sitting in there afterwards thinking about it, it's like I guess that makes sense because he would have been on the scout team with Orton uh, and all. That. Yeah, I guess I, maybe that makes sense. But
1: being number one, like, I don't know about that, man. So, and to to his credit, I mean, he did end up finishing, I think, second in the team on receiving yards that season, despite you know Marty Booker and and Brandon Lloyd both being much more productive receivers throughout their career. And I think they both had some injuries that season. Then and. Yeah. and Uh, Davis was able to stay healthy, but by all means, this is not a high bar. I mean, Davis had 445 receiving yards that season and was the 2nd leading wide receiver on the team, but but fourth in receiving yards. So he he did make a little bit of an impact. It was one of his best years, just uh, not not one offensively all around.
2: You know what? To give all credit to Rasheed Davis, the one thing that I remember about him is that whenever he made a catch, it always seemed to be in very clutch moments. Because I remember like in 06, you know, he made a big catch on like you know, like third down against the Seahawks or something in the divisional round. It always seemed like he was, he found a way to get open in those big moments and, and would make a, a catch. I mean, in 2006, I remember against the Vikings, he caught the game winning touchdown uh, against the, uh, against the Vikings to, to win that game, a rare Bears win in the Metrodome in back in 06, I remember that vividly uh, actually, you know, as, but as far as like thinking about Rasheed uh, Davis being a weapon or being a number one guy, that says a lot about what our wide receiver room looked like then. And also, you know, uh, you know, kind of tragic as to what we can expect from the offensive Rashid Davis is your number one guy. All due respect uh, to Rasheed. So. Yes,
1: but I think it was the first year that Devin Hester was like a full time wide receiver. Yeah. They they dabbled yeah, yeah. with it in 07, and and he turns into your leading wide receiver and his first time really doing it in the NFL. Like that's that that tells you a lot. Yeah.
2: So let's go ahead and and dive uh, into the game here, and you know, kicking things off the. Uh, it is the first game in in Lucas Oil after 25 seasons, I believe. Uh, in the Hoosier Dome, it was that's where the Colts played since they moved there back in '83 uh, when they left Baltimore in the snow to to go out there. Uh, the Colts started with the ball and uh, was noted that it was the 161st consecutive start for Peyton Manning, and uh, they could not stop talking about his knee throughout the game because uh, apparently he had some. Uh, like a, a bursa sack that had to be removed, and it was stiff, and Andrea Kramer's following him around on the sidelines to, to watch his routine about him trying to stay warm and not let the knee get stiff and, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Um, kind of an uneventful uh, you know, first couple of drives uh, for the Colts. I mean, an early scare for Bear fans. Briggs goes out after the second play. And the one thing that I love about watching these old games Lauren, is being reminded of who used to be on the team. Like, I would have not remembered Jamar Williams was a player for the Bears until he replaced Lance Briggs in this game after, like, the second play uh, of the game. There's number 52, who obviously that holds a different connotation for Bear fans today, but number 52 on the sideline standing next to Erlacher on the, on the defense because Briggs was shaken up on the second play of the game.
1: I remember him as a, as pretty much just a special teams guy in the same, the same vein as like Brendan and Badejo and, Mm -hmm. and, and like Rod Wilson and them. But yeah, this was also right after, uh, Lance Briggs had had like his not his first, but not not like the major holdout in 2011, but like the first mini holdout after I think he got franchise tagged that year. And then they gave him that big contract extension that he was happy with for like three years and then won another one. So yeah. maybe he was a little bit rusty, kind of like Peyton Manning, having skipped some of the offseason.
2: Right. So early on, the Bears were being aggressive and coming after Manning, taking advantage of the fact that he had spent he had not played at all during the preseason because Madden and Michaels couldn't stop talking about that and how he might be rusty uh, didn't play at all in the preseason the Bears were you know coming after him shooting the gaps coming up the middle uh, and all that kind of stuff weren't getting to Manning but they were causing you know they had a batted ball in there uh, some errant throws you know one hit the hit the dirt trying to get to Marvin Harrison that kind of thing and um, you know they end up punting the ball uh, to the Bears and what's what's um Notable about the Bears and their first punt return of the game is uh, or of the season actually is that it starts a 35 game drought for Hester without a return touchdown because 2008 2009 he scores zero return touchdowns after scoring what 13 14 touchdowns his first two years in the league in 06 and 07 had a really nice return end up getting, you know, knocked out of bounds or knocked short there. But unknown, unbeknownst to everyone, it was the the start of a very long drought that didn't end until like week three of 2010.
1: Yeah, maybe I was just trying to will it into existence, but I feel like the, the first return, the punt return had in that game, like he's turned a little bit of a corner there when he reversed fields and yeah. had a couple blockers in front of him. And I was like, oh, is he going to do it? Like I couldn't remember specifically whether he had one in this game or not. Yeah. And I thought on the first one, maybe just maybe – he might have a little room to get free, and and that was really like the only one he w- really had a good shot at getting a long return on that game because they pretty well stopped kicking it to him directly. And that was that. There was one. I mean, we'll get to some of the more ones later on, but that we was like the one shot. That. It looked like oh, maybe he might, and then no.
2: Yeah. So I mean, it was it was a very it was a decent return, uh, but that was also the the thing about Devin Hester was even though he went on that drought where two seasons and changed before he had another. Uh, kickoff return or punt return for a touchdown, he was affecting the Bears in positive ways just based on – just by being on the field. You know, Tony Dungy wanted – the. you know, it said in the broadcast, Tony Dungy wanted high kicks, lots of air time to not give Hester – Uh, A chance to return it, giving all of our, you know, return team all the time to get down there to surround him, so on and so forth, or just flat out kicking it out of bounds, getting it away from him, that kind of thing. The Bears never really had an issue with field position uh, during even though Hester wasn't running kicks back for touchdowns because he was so dangerous and could make it happen at any time. Uh, you know, the Bears never really had much of an issue with field position. I mean, scoring was always the issue for them. But field position, not really an issue during that time period.
1: Yeah, except for the one, I mean, not to get too two out of ourselves, yeah, but was it well, the start of the third quarter we, when he... Yeah, we will, uh,
2: yeah, per- will talk, David, we will talk <laughs> okay. about that. We will get to that because there's like double reason why that was a horrible, horrible moment. So let's, we'll, we'll get to that. But second drive, uh, the first drive stalls the Bears went three and out on the first drive and it started out awesome our brand new starting quarterback fumbles the opening snap uh from Olin Kruz. uh thankfully it was recovered but actually was also kind of erased because not only did the uh, quarterback center exchange go poorly uh Olin Krutz tried to snap it twice on the first play and that's uh that's a penalty so uh anyway Bears go three well, you know, Go ahead. You
1: know, right away you saw Matt Forte's impact because that he's the one who fell on the fumble. Yeah. Had, had it actually counted, yeah. he would have been the one that got credited with the recovery.
2: Right. So the the one thing that, that, that I noticed during the broadcast and it kind of brought memories of when I was actually in Indy was they're one of the more attentive fan bases at, at a football game that I've ever seen. Because when Manning and the offense were out there, you could hear somebody cough on the other end of the stadium. That's how quiet it is when, when Manning and the offense are on the field. But when the defense is out there and the opposing team's offense, they are loud, they're screaming, uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and you could see that in the first drive for the Bears on offense that all of a sudden there was a crowd in the stadium and they were all hollering and screaming for the uh, you know, to distract and, and, and hurt the uh, the Bears and, and impede them as much as they possibly uh, could. It was something, like, I've, I made three trips out to Indy, and I was impressed with it each time that I went there.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because of how open, you know, they kept talking about, they, they kept raving about the new stadium but and how much more space it was and how loud it used to be in, in the previous stadium and how it there was, especially with the roof open, more room for the crowd noise to sort of funnel out of there. But even still, there were a couple times it f- seemed like they were having a little bit of trouble getting plays in on time and getting things lined up correctly there with guys having to be rearranged. So you're you're absolutely right. A lot of credit to them.
2: Yeah. So the bears end up uh, kicking it away. Colts start there, their second drive at their own 19. And it seemed like the bears took their, their foot off the gas on the second drive as far as like coming for Manning. It seemed like they were dropping back into a zone and it was like watching Super Bowl 41 again because the Colts were just Manning was just sitting back in the pocket and kind of picking them apart as we just tried to get home with four uh, at the start of that drive. Now the Bears started to raise up the pressure as the Colts were driving uh, and everything but you know that was after the you know the damage was done and they were in Bears uh, territory uh, and then of course they got help on an extremely bogus roughing the passer call on Erlacher when he got there as Manning was throwing the ball and just kind of, you know, he basically brought his hands down, didn't hit him in the head, just kind of as he was coming down, the force of bringing his arms down, knock Manning over, ref throws a flag 15 free yards for the Colts that actually put them
1: uh, into Bears' uh, territory. Yeah, that was one of the things I had written down, too. Like, even in 2008, there were still terrible roughing the passer calls. Like, we think about the refereeing now being bad and how they changed the roughing the passer rules now and how you barely touch the quarterback and there's, there's those flags. And, yeah, even even back then, it was the same kind of play that would get flagged now that we would get totally upset about that. I would imagine back then it was even more upsetting based on the standard that we were used to.
2: And even Madden said it was ticky-tack.
1: Yeah, it, the broadcast was like they—they they seem much more willing to have opinions, especially mm-hmm. like negative opinions. Like they were more willing to say like, "Oh, that decision was bad" or "That referee call was bad." Like nowadays, that I feels like they—you know—they're a little bit more like. They question it, but not directly. They're like, yeah, maybe that wasn't the right call, or maybe things could have gone differently, or maybe this or that. But they last, in that game, they were like, no, that was, that was a terrible call on that one, or the Colts really shouldn't have done that. That was a bad idea from the coach there. Like, they, they didn't hold back nearly as much.
2: You think social media has got something to do with that? Like those clips can be rebirthed all over again on, on Twitter and, and Instagram and, and things like that now versus 2008. We're still in the infancy uh of social media. I mean Facebook is barely a thing. It's like MySpace kind of ruled the world in 2000 uh 8 and and everything, but it wasn't the you know the home for things like that. Like like you wouldn't have to see this viral clip of Madden calling this uh you know this roughing the passer call tiki tack over and over again. Nobody's going to retweet that in 2000s 2000, 2008.
1: I think that's part of it And I think another part of it is that it's John Madden. And it's like, if he he criticizes you, what are you going to say? No, John Madden is wrong. Like, he carries a certain amount of cachet and a certain amount of credibility that, I mean, not that guys like Chris Collinsworth or Troy Aikman don't, but, like, I think Madden is a certain level above them. Like, these other players, I mean, even Hall of Fame caliber players, but there's something about, like, John Madden being... One of the founding fathers of football that puts him in this, this upper echelon, even above the current guys that we have broadcasting. And, and he and Michaels, I think, have some freedom based on that, that everyone is going to respect what he has to say, even if they disagree with it. Whereas nowadays there's, you know, there's so many different announcers and they don't carry quite the same, you know, the, 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 the same weight to what they say.
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, for sure.
0: After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.
2: So the Colts managed to get all the way down to the 7-yard line uh, inside the red zone, but thanks to penalties and miscues, uh, third and goal is from the 21-yard line, and, and that was an incomplete pass. Uh, so they had to settle for a field goal. Uh, so they take the three points. They're up five, uh, 3 nothing with about 5 50 to go in the first quarter and then the Devin Hester effect takes effect again as for the first time uh, they uh, Vinatieri pooch kicks uh, to uh, to the Bears for the kickoff and I think that's the one that Garrett Wolf uh, ran back because it was nowhere near uh, Devin Hester but it gave the Bears great field position starting at their own 43 yard line so practically at midfield because they don't want Devin Hester to tear him a new one because he almost did the last time he touched the ball.
1: It was really the start of a pretty strongly recurring theme for the team, and I mean, largely the, for the season and, and throughout this game of like, and every everything possible to help the offense in the best position to where you know Orton doesn't have to have to do all that much. Didn't really for much of the season doesn't have to drive that far, doesn't have to score all the points because the defense does some of that, and certainly the special teams does as well. And it's like, okay, like how can we? hide our quarterback really as much as possible. So fast forward, third
2: play of the drive, third and six from the 50, uh, from midfield, handoff up the gut. You see this cavernous hole open up in the middle and Forte, you know, headstrong, runs right into it, puts, puts a move on poor Anton Bethea and he's off to the races. He has gone 50 yards for the touchdown to put the Bears up uh, seven to three. And it's it's the play that came to mind when I thought of doing this game uh, for the Retro Rewind was that b- that big play early on in the game kind of set the tone for who the Bears could expect when it came to Matt Forte and, and what he was going to bring to the table uh, in that uniform.
1: It's the one, like, major highlight from this game that I could remember. Like, this is what, oh, yeah, like, I was alive for this game and watched this game when it first happened, but this was the play when I watched it, maybe— maybe even just from hearing highlight reels from from Matt Forte over the years, but, like, that that move he made in the open field, like, yes, it was a pretty clean hole to get up there. I mean, the the Bears had kind of come out and spread the offense out with, like, four receivers, although I think two of them were tight ends. And so, like, there was only, like, Five guys in the box, really, and a couple guys sort of near the box. So when they pulled that guard, I mean, he got ten yards untouched. But it was a great block by, I think it was Desmond Clark on one of the linebackers there, and then yeah, it was pretty much just Bethea because then it was just outrunning Bob Sanders to the end zone. And it Who was, was just out great. of
2: position on the play, according to Madden, saying that basically he was he wasn't where he was supposed to be or where he should have been on that play because once he once uh, Forte put that move on Bethea, the only thing we see of of bob sanders is him running behind matt forte as he as he coasts uh into the end zone to put the bears up uh to put the bears up early uh 7 to felt, 3 at the first quarter
1: it, it felt like such a great battle between those two all game long right there were a couple of times when bob sanders came up and made some nice tackles to stop him and i don't know that forte ever like truly juked him juked him but like There were it was always sort of a battle of like how long it takes Sanders to get to Forte and how much he can squeeze out before Sanders starts getting over there and I think also injured him at one point in the game too
2: yeah rung his bell pretty good I think that happened in the uh, in the second quarter but um, so on the ensuing kickoff um, I think Roby was his name the returner for the Colts actually fumbles the ball. And um, there's a scrum for it. The Bears come up with it. Garrett Wolf actually ends up recovering it. It was initially ruled down by contact before the ball comes out. Lovey challenges it. And looking at it, he trips over one of his own guys, fumbles the ball clean. And then, but it's still ruled play called, you know, play, uh, ruled as stand, stands as called. And it turns out. Like the announcers, you know Madden and Michaels were kind of you know philosophizing this is probably what it is, and then it was later confirmed that because the replay couldn't see who actually recovered it as opposed to who ended up with it at the end, they had to go with the the call that was made on the field, which was that basically the Colts keep the ball, even though anyone watching the replay is like, "Well, that's bullshit," and just. <laughs> But unfortunately, it went against the Bears. We lost the challenge, and the Colts keep the ball, despite the fact that kid fumbled the ball.
1: Yeah, that was one of the A number of times in this game, where it's like the referees end up. I mean, it didn't certainly decide the outcome of the game, but it's just like. I mean, what can you do at that point? Like yeah. it's, it technology was only so good at that time to get the right angles on this, and I, I did appreciate though the the broadcast seeming to get it right pretty much every time, even when the referees couldn't.
2: Yeah, so thankfully it was much to do about nothing. The Colts uh, couldn't do anything with it. The Bears harassed Manning. They only sacked him twice in the game, but like I said, batted balls, uh, getting in there, forcing errant throws and things like that. Manning statistically did not have a uh, you know a bad day uh, so to speak. Uh, Thirty of forty nine, two fifty seven, and a touchdown. No interceptions. No fumbles. Anything. Like that, so not a bad day statistically at all. But as far as what Manning is capable of, what he's done to other teams in the past, and hell, what he did against the Bears in the Super Bowl, uh, he did not have a very, a very good you know day as far as Peyton Manning standards uh, are concerned. So
1: they end yeah, up. It felt like they the defense like kept forcing him to have to throw like. To the out, like outside of the numbers, at least for a lot of the beginning of the game, until they went into this like all slants offense for a little while there. Like yeah. up, up to that point, it was all like to the flats on the sideline, just wherever they could find room there. Because he was not, and, and maybe it was because he hadn't done any preseason or training camp stuff, but he wasn't didn't seem willing to really test Urlacher and Briggs and them in coverage until he got into a little bit more of a rhythm later in the game.
2: Yeah, he was also not a very big fan of maybe checking down and 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 you know maybe getting a die coming out of the backfield or. Uh, you know, or something like that he also lost Dallas Clark early in the game uh to a knee injury uh as yeah. well, so I mean that probably factor into you know what do they always say a quarterback's best friend is a tight end uh kind of thing and you know Peyton Manning never had a better friend than he did in dallas clark so um you know and they lost him early uh in the in the first quarter, I think too he was he did not play most of the game so The first quarter ends, and the last note that I have for the uh, first quarter was uh, Forte ran with such authority, which was a nice change of pace after watching the Bears struggle so mightily to do so in 07, and that was the ineptitude that was Cedric Benson, and then the talent deficiency in, you know, even though Adrian Peterson was actually better for the Bears than Cedric Benson was, he was still not a starting caliber Uh, running back he was just what the Bears had to offer you know to 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 run the football uh, in 07 to see Forte run into those holes and come out the other side as opposed to watching Peterson and Benson basically run head first into a pile of bodies and not come out the other side watching Forte in just the first quarter uh, of action was a breath of fresh air as opposed to what we had to suffer through in 07.
1: You could even see it during this game on the occasional times they switched to Kevin Jones in the backfield, especially when Forte was hurt. But and they mixed him in every once in a while. I mean, the 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 juice out of the backfield was just noticeably different. I mean, yeah. uh, they kept pointing out Forte's feet, and that's really what met, what makes it so special. Just the way he can he can flow and cut, and like Kevin Jones would come out there, and not that he was like particularly slow or terrible. It just felt like it just felt like things were like uh, toned down about a half step.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and then we, so we come back from commercial, which blissfully we didn't have sit through on, on YouTube. The, the person who posted the video was kind enough to cut the commercials out. Um, we come back, and the first thing they talk about as the broadcast returns is uh, Tom Brady going down uh, with a knee injury in their opener uh, against the Chiefs that day. And unbeknownst to everyone, Lauren, that knee injury set into motion... The events that would occur that would allow the Bears to trade for Jay Cutler one year later. Do you remember? You do you know how the dominoes fell on that one.
1: Something I, I don't. I'm but guessing like.
2: Okay, let me break it down for you.
1: Matt okay. Castle going to the Chiefs exactly. and then. Oh, no, no,
2: no, no. Actually. Oh. Hold on. All right, so Matt Castle does factor into it. So you got your half right on that. All right. Bernard Pollard was the safety for the Chiefs that came in with the low blow that took Tom Brady out, which forced Matt Castle into the starting position at quarterback for the New England Patriots. Despite going 11-5, and five, the Patriots missed the playoffs that year. But it was Josh McDaniels last year in New England because going into 2009, he was hired as head coach of the Denver Broncos. And two things happened after he became head coach. Number one, he basically bagged on Jay Cutler in their first face-to-face meeting, basically telling him that he wasn't as good as he thought he was and blah, blah, blah. And then the Broncos tried to trade for Matt Castle to bring him to New England because basically McDaniels had fallen in love with him while he was his quarterback in New England. Put a bad taste in Jay Cutler's mouth, demanded the trade. April 2nd, 2009, the Bears make that trade and get their hands on Jay Cutler going into the season, all because Bernard Pollard came in too low, took out Brady's left knee.
1: Wow. I I, I had a feeling it was Castle-related somehow, but uh, yeah. yeah, boy, we got to thank Josh McDaniels over and over again. It would have been funny if somehow, like, Josh McDaniels had been involved in the bears trade up or trade down this year with from the number one pick. And we could have another run of these, like <laughs> Josh McDaniels helps the bears with some important team building step, but maybe someday still we can get another one out of there.
2: Right. So, um, the first, uh, drive for the bears in the second half stalls out. They have to punt, uh, to the Colts Manning, uh, gets the Colts into the red zone. He went like four for four for nearly 60 yards, uh, to get him into the red zone. Reggie Wayne drops a touchdown uh, in the end zone, hits him right in the hands, and when he hits the ground, the ball comes flying, uh, flying out. The pass was tipped on second down. Uh, they weren't, they didn't get enough yards on third down. Had to settle for another Vinitary field goal. So nine thirty eight to go in the second quarter. The Bears are up seven uh, six. Even Madden and Michaels can't believe the Bears are actually winning this game uh, at this point. After the the two thousand seven season that each team had. There's no way the Bears should be even though it's seven to six, the Bears are dominating this game, Lauren.
1: Well, and it's their sort of trademark like yeah, the Manning starts getting – I think this is when the slants started coming where it's just like quick one to Harrison over the middle, quick one to Harrison over the middle, quick one here to Reggie Wayne, like trying to get things rolling that way. But it's typical Bears defense. Like, yeah, they'll give you the dink and dunk all the way down the field, but you get inside the 25-yard line and things all of a sudden get a lot more difficult. And, yes, Reggie Wayne dropped a touchdown passage. It, it should have been seven there. It should have been a different game. But, like, yeah. still, th- that this team kept continually found ways to not give up touchdowns and, and just settle for field goals.
2: Yeah. So it's on the next drive after the Bears uh, get the ball back from the Colts that uh, Forte leaves the game for a few plays after getting popped by, uh, by Bob Sanders, uh, who is, in fact, the reigning defensive player of the year. Uh, he was defensive player of the year in 2007. And, um, you know, Forte catches a screen pass. He turns around, and as he's basically being brought down by someone else, Bob Sanders comes in, basically cleans up and clocks Forte knocks him out for uh, a few plays. Um, Kind of I mean, I I don't, I mean, obviously he played well and finished the game uh, strong and everything. But I wonder, A, you know, what today's protocols and everything, because this was even before concussion protocol uh, started, you know, how much time would Forte have missed uh, today versus him missing, maybe missing a handful of plays, if that, before he came back uh, into the game.
1: Yeah, I remember they, they showed him on the sideline getting talked to by, mm-hmm. you know, three three copycat versions of the same balding white guy that all <laughs> were wearing, like, Dr. Stuby. And they, just, they all looked, like, straight out of, like, the late 90s, but even though this was 2008 for some reason. Right. And so, like, they seem to be evaluating him in, in the same ways that we see them evaluate players now in terms of, like... I think they were trying to make sure he didn't have a concussion, and I'd like to think they did, but certainly they. Madden, Madden and, and Mal- Michaels kept talking about his shoulder, that he it, he did kind of get hit a little mm-hmm. bit more on the shoulder, and whether it was a stinger or not, but it did seem like he came back in and didn't have another one of the breakaway touchdown runs, but kept up fairly decent production, especially, I think, once he got to go into halftime and rested a little bit longer.
2: Yeah. So um, my next note after uh, Forte leaves for a few plays is uh, John St. Clair, Versus Dwight Freeney, probably one of the biggest mismatches I've seen uh, in defensive end slash left tackle in in quite some time. And of course, St. Clair forced into duty because we picked a first round, uh, we picked a left tackle in the first round that uh, back wasn't whole, so he had to have surgery to put it back together. And John St. Clair was what we had left uh, to start at left tackle.
1: It was weird for me because I think in in my brain I associated. John St. Clair is being better, but I think I was just thinking of John Tate, and then Tate was the one who got kicked over to right tackle, I believe, as yeah. as a result of some of these changes. So I, I think I think that's what I was doing. But I was like, oh, why is John John St. Clair struggling that badly? But I think I think that was more uh, that was more my misremembering. And and even on the interior, like starting a rookie Josh Beekman or yeah. second year, I think it was his second, second year, year at that point, yeah. but like not a not a great guard there. So there was it was not a not a super solid offensive line for the Bears, but they were able to make it work. Well, well enough. I mean, the offense didn't really score a ton in this game, but it got the job done, I guess.
2: Yeah, from center to right tackle, we're in great shape. Olin Cruz, Roberto Garza, John Tate, center, right guard, right tackle. I'll take that all day. But left tackle, John St. Clair, uh, left guard, Josh Beekman, that's rough right there. And and Freeney, I don't know how many times, and it was one of those things where Freeney just kept beating St. Clair with that spin move over and over it's like dude you haven't picked up on this yet he's gonna spin spin to the inside spin to the outside he's going to spin uh and he just he just beat him continuously all day I mean I had like another note later on like in the second half just like this is just getting sad watching watching Freeney just spin his way around St. Clair and harass Kyle Orton uh in this game it was like it was a huge mismatch there and in true bear fashion Got no help whatsoever for most of the football game.
1: Yeah, I had written a note in the first, I guess, I had written first, the first third down of the game that they tried to have Forte help on a Freeni chip, and Forte just kind of missed. Yeah. Freeney went around he both did. of them and got to the quarterback.
2: He did. So uh, as we near the end of the quarter here, uh, the, the Bears uh, made it uh, settle for a 41-yard field goal from Robbie Gold with about four and a half minutes to go to make it 10-6. to six. And after that field goal, it the, the the Colts um had a decent return, but because of a penalty which kind of plagued them at, at like the worst time. Anytime the Colts seemed to do something well, it was a penalty that, that brought it back. It was very bears-ish to, to watch. It's like the Bears had to market cornered on that kind of thing. It was funny to watch it happen to somebody else. And they the penalty brought the, the, the Colts all the way back to like their own eight or nine-yard line, and then uh, don't blink because you'll miss it. Marcus Harrison, I think, with the int- only sack in his NFL career as a rookie in his first game, sacks Peyton Manning at the one-yard line uh, on, the, on the first play from scrimmage there, followed by the very next play, Adewile Gunlier just right across the tackle's face and smashing Joseph Adai inside the end zone for a safety to put the Bears up 12-6. Uh, Tony Dungy trying to challenge it, and he lost, so the safety stood. And just like that, the Bears are getting the ball back.
1: I had forgotten how much I loved that Bears defensive line group mm-hmm. from right around this era, like Agunlier and Tommy Harris and Mark Anderson and Israel Donage coming off the bench, Alex Brown, Anthony right. Adams there, too. Like Certainly those that weren't like pro bowlers, but just a group of guys that I just loved. I don't know why they just were so endearing to me.
2: Those guys were so tough, man. Even Even... You know, the short lived career of Dusty Dvoracek, who was the other starting yeah. defensive tackle uh in this game, you know, third round in oh seven or six, I think, out of Oklahoma. I mean, he was just a bona fide stud, uh, as well, just a boulder of a man sitting in the middle right next to the Tommy Harris. I mean, they they were really just clogging up the middle and making things hellish for uh, for Manning uh, in that game. And like you said, the, you know, Agunlier doing his thing, Alex Brown coming off the edge, Mark Anderson, the pass rush specialist, uh, if you will. It was a great group that we had up front. I mean, I'd kill to have a group like that today.
1: <laughs> it's kind of the opposite right now. It's working much, through that so, problem. Yeah. But yeah, fun fun to see them make that play in the end zone. I, I, it was so close to getting out too. The the, the ball, like they show the replay. And it's like a half of an inch of a ball doesn't cross the line and it's, that counts.
2: Right. Yeah, so he wasn't able to get because the in, the rule is the entire ball has to break the plane, and instead it was like the nose of the ball came out and that was it. Not good enough. Safety stands. So Colts have to kick the ball back uh, to the Bears, and you know they were able to move the ball down, and it actually looked like the drive was going to stall out, but then on uh, I believe it was third down. Uh, Orton to to Greg Olson makes a great catch, gets the ball down the field, but because they're out of timeouts, they only have time to spike the ball and had to settle for a field goal as opposed to, uh, or like after they spiked the ball, they only got four seconds left, so they they're either going for the end zone and coming and you know taking the chance to come away with nothing, or you settle for the field goal, take the points, and you go into halftime with all the momentum. They chose for the latter. Uh, Robbie Gold hits from like 22 yards away to put the Bears up 15 to six at the half, capping off as, as, as an especially strong finish, but a very solid start uh, to the game uh, for the Bears, up nine points on one of the best teams in the league.
1: I wrote down finally a downfield pass exclamation point on my, on my <laughs> notes as I was watching the game. It, it, was, it was cool though; like I was, I was surprised watching back, like how much. Ron Turner would take his tight ends and put them out at wide receiver like yeah. uh, he was more creative than I th- I thought he would be and I knew like I knew they did that a lot with, with Desmond Clark but like to get Olsen out there more too like, the, the, like on one of those plays Olson I think it might have been that one Olsen is the, the split out widest wide receiver and yeah. Clark is the slot next to him and it's like it looks like a four wide receiver formation but there's really only two wide receivers to the left two tight ends to the right but it's still like spread in that way and I, I appreciated the, the effort there to not just line up I formation over and over again as like I think think in hindsight like I, I associate those offenses with being a lot more vanilla and a lot more boring and, and they did mix things up a bit more that way
2: yeah and what was brilliant about that particular play that throw from Orton to Olsen was that because of the way that the formation was the Bears had one before the ball was snapped because you had a tight end lined up out wide with Olsen which is one-on-one and a with linebacker Olsen, yeah a linebacker did, what did I say you said a tight
1: end but yeah got, the tight you. end
2: is Olsen he's out wide with a linebacker you know head to head on him and you know Olsen being what 6-6 or something like that great probability he's going to win a jump ball uh, out there and it's it's one on one and everything he won easily also a great throw from Orton uh, as well put it right on the button and uh, set the bears up for that for that last field goal to go up 15 to 6 at the half so you know, at the half, the, the Bears are rolling. They've got all the momentum, and they start with the football. And this is where we get to <laughs> what we've kind of been alluding to all along. So on the opening kickoff of the second half, the Bears, with all the momentum, having had A, an impressive half, but v b a very impressive finish to that half. They actually kicked the ball to Hester. Who catches, did he catch it in the end zone or did it roll to him? In, I don't remember that part,
1: but. He, he caught it like deep in the end zone, he like he caught was it the deep in the middle of the end zone.
2: He, he tried to do that thing he did in the kick six against the Giants in 06, where he's standing there, he's kind of walking, he's pretending like the play is over, and then at the last moment decides to take off, only the Colts were paying attention and Hester gets tripped up at the three yard line. And it goes from the emphasis of trying to, you know, maintain this momentum, keep it going, to all of a sudden the momentum belongs to the Colts because the Bears' heels are on the goal line and they got to dig themselves out of it now.
1: And now the Colts want to try and get that safety for themselves right. to get that back. And, and I loved, I loved after that Hester was tackled, they they cut to Lovey Smith on the sideline and you could just see him like shaking his head going. Yeah. God damn it, Devin. <laughs> like I know, I know you can take it out every time, but come on! Like ah, like we're we're up nine, where we're controlling the game here. We don't need a touchdown here. We don't need to be sneaky. Let's just let's just keep this and control the clock and not back ourselves up there. But it was it was funny. It really was. Yeah.
2: So like I said, the drive became about digging themselves out of the hole, uh, and and the, the Bears end up punting from their own five yard line, which has Brad Mayner. Our punter literally was with his heels on the back line. You know, like one of those where if he takes a false step, he's stepping out of bounds and it's a safety anyway uh, kind of thing, which flips field position, puts the ball right in the hands of the Colts around midfield, and sure enough, they come marching down the field and uh, Manning finds Reggie Wayne from about seven yards out. Uh, and just like that it 's a ball game again it 's fifteen to thirteen after the Colts uh, drive their way down and and like hitting on all cylinders on that drive too it 's like and I just remember like watching the game it 's like did we just lose the game? Did that just happen like did you know did hester 's mistake set into motion how this game falls apart for us
1: yeah it 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 felt like you could feel not only the wind coming out of the bear, the bears sails, but also like the crowd, as we were talking about a little bit earlier for the Colts, like once Manning just goes on this, this dink and dunk, well, not even more than dink and dunk, but just this, this, like one after the other passing all the way down the field pretty quickly and easily. Like that was when it felt like he especially was like fearless attacking the middle of the field again. And it was like, Oh no, he's no longer scared of the defense. You know, the pressure and the blitz looks that they kept showing him no longer seemed to be really getting into his head all that well. And he's moving pretty well, even outside of the pocket. And it's like, Man, this is uh, everything is coming back to like where everyone expected the game to go. Where it's like, oh yeah, the Colts—they're actually pretty good, and the Bears aren't this good.
2: Right? Yeah. So, uh, so after that, the the Bears were actually able to get the ball on after you know getting the ball back, get it to about midfield to the point where they kind of pinned the Colts back in their own territory. And what was key about this is that the Colts, uh, Manning. Hits uh, Harrison on a slant route because they were getting pretty good at that uh, at this point. Only uh, this time, uh, peanut punch uh, from uh, from our good friend Charles Tillman knocks the ball out of uh, Marvin Harris's hands. Lance Briggs scoops it up, runs it in from about twenty yards out. The momentum has effectively been taken back by the Bears because they're back to a nine point lead, up twenty two to thirteen after the miscue. Uh, from Harrison and the recovery from Briggs.
1: And that too was like, ultimate bears of this era, right? As soon as Briggs picks that ball up, everybody turns into a blocker, and it's not that it's a clean path to the end zone, but he doesn't get touched all that much. He had to, like, kind of cut around a little bit where his blocks came in, but only because the blocks came in so well did he kind of, like, end up spinning and dancing around to get his way into the end zone. But even as he's running with that, like, he kind of feel like, oh, he's he's going to score here. Like, pretty quickly, he's going to score. It helped that he only had, you know, 21 yards to go.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, man, peanut he was so good at that man you know just being being able to hit it in just the right spot uh you know like getting it right on the point of the ball or the fattest part of the ball whatever it was that he would do to make the ball just keep coming out and uh you know the 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 bears always being so alert for any ball that touched the ground they're all over it uh you know they scoop it up and and, and off they go and uh you know Briggs runs it back into the end zone we're up 22 uh, to 13 and here it is we've got you know we've got what our our second defensive score uh, of the game including the safety uh, from earlier and uh, you know we've got an effective nine-point lead as we get deeper and deeper uh, into this game and um, you know it, it was it, it was you know like I said we, we st- stole the momentum back and you know we're back in a, it's a two-score game again and uh, there's only a, a buck 52 to go in the third quarter. So time is running out for the Colts.
1: Do you think that forced fumble from Charles Tillman is a forced fumble in 2023 and and not an incomplete pass? I do
2: actually. It was like,
1: what two steps. It was like catch step, step. And I, I wondered, you know, if, if nowadays, you know, with the Des Bryant rule and, you know, completing the process of a catch, Mm -hmm. if, if they'd still call it that way this year,
2: I think so. I think so. I mean, I've actually, if you remember, the Bears had something very similar happen in, what, 2019 against the Vikings where it was literally mm-hmm. like bang, bang. But because the, the, the Viking receiver caught the ball and both feet touched the ground and it was about to complete a third step, boom, the ball comes out, the Bears recover it, and even though Minnesota challenged it, the Bears still came away with the ball. So, I mean, this is, what, 11 years after that? I still think I still think it would have been... Ruled in the Bears' favor on that one, you know. It's like I, I think I would be more afraid of the of the referees blowing it dead than actually it not being a fumble or ruled a fumble like that. That would that I would be more concerned of than than actually not being able like it going against us upon review.
1: Yeah, so, that's 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 kind of what I was wondering about. But yeah. it counted on this game, and it was really big for getting the Bears back in control and kind of seeing this one through.
2: Yeah, so that's pretty much how the third quarter ends. Indy is driving, uh, but the Bears are up 22-13 to 13 as the fourth quarter starts. And early in the fourth quarter, like I think maybe even the first or second play of the fourth quarter, it's fourth and one for the Colts. And Madden and Michaels are against this completely, saying it's too early for the Colts to be going forward on fourth down. Uh, they're at midfield uh, and everything. This is you know not a good thing, especially with how effectively the Bears are running the ball even from midfield, you can easily milk five minutes off a clock that when you're already down two scores, and even if the Bears kick a field goal, you're, you're still down two scores. You have to score two touchdowns in order uh, to take a lead and get back into this ball game. You know, don't go for it here, especially since Joseph Adai, who had just gotten hurt a, a player two earlier, isn't on the field and they don't have their best guy on the field to, to make this all-important play. And sure enough, they get stuffed when Gunlier and Briggs uh, get into the backfield and, and take him down for like a two-yard loss.
1: Yeah, I, I, I kept remarking, and I wrote it down in my notes, like how the broadcast Talked about fourth downs in this game and how that compares to now. Like, anytime it was like fourth and short and a team came out to punt, there was never a question. It was just like, all right. And as soon as as the tackles made, it's like, all right, punt team is coming out. No question, no discussion. Not even going to wonder whether they should punt here. Like, there was one the Bears had, and I don't remember, it was in the third quarter where they punted from the Colts 40. It was fourth and 12. So, like, it was it was after Kyle Lorton got sacked on the third down. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was, it was the strip sack play where he fell on it, yeah, I yeah. think, when he got knocked to yeah. his hands. The, the Bears had fourth and 12 from the Colts 40. Like, they're just barely just outside of field goal range. And it was like... You know, he punts it 24 yards because there's just nowhere to punt it. And there there was never even a a thought or a question. Should they go for it here? Of course not. Why you would never go for it on fourth down. I mean, unless it's late in the game. It was just funny how there's a very clear example there of how the thought process on that has changed over time to where they're even questioning it on fourth and one at the beginning of the fourth quarter when you're down a, a full score.
2: And something tells me that even a 2023 version of John Madden wouldn't get too into the weeds on the analytics of going for it uh, on fourth down versus not going for it uh, in that situation, or in the fourth and one that the Colts, uh, you know, guessed wrong on a uh, kind of thing, and and it's it's uh, it you know it just shows how much the game has changed even in this modern time from two thousand eight. 2023 there would have been a much bigger discussion going into the play and after the play about the analytics and it, you know it's the the coach the, the coach is on the right side of the analytics it says that you know 72 percent probability you're going to get it on fourth and one and blah 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 and this and that and and all that kind of stuff and it was just like no it's too early for this especially against this defense that's been penetrating and you know getting home uh, on these uh you know, and beating up your interior line and everything—you don't want to go for it against these guys, at, especially in this area of the field, and so on and so forth. It was all about logic, having nothing to do with the math and the probability uh, of it all.
1: Yeah, it's still a little surprised that it, it a wasn't even Joseph Adai, but then like b, if you're going to have roads in the game, you're not just going to like throw another one of those quick slant routes that seem to be working all game. Like, just felt kind of questionable there, was- especially. The Bears load up the defense, like six guys in the line of scrimmage to try and stop it. They had one deep safety and press coverage on the outside. Manning of all people you'd think would make the the audible at the line of scrimmage and, and get the play going.
2: Yeah. I mean that would probably be more likely the play call today versus versus then is that they would probably be looking at one of those you know, like the Chiefs love to do that arrow route where the basically you you get to the to the to the marker and and you run along the marker you catch the ball then basically you stretch the football out you got the you got the one yard and change that you need versus trying to run up the guts of that defense it would most likely be be a pass play in today's game versus what the Colts chose to do even with Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne uh, on your roster they ran the football which you know they would be criticized to death for doing that today
1: was the last time they ran the ball in the whole game, except in garbage time at the very end. But pretty much, they knew it was do or die time in terms of passing. It was the only pass, it was the only rush attempt of the fourth quarter, except for the second to last play of the game.
2: Well, I mean, it ends up being you know Michaels and Madden looking like geniuses because not only did they say this was a wrong time to be doing this, the Bears took that drive all the way into the end zone for what ended up being, you know, the nail in the coffin. Uh, For it, you know, an awesome play fake on third and one. And and like you said, Ron Turner getting creative with his tight ends, schemed it up. So Desmond Clark is out there on an island by himself, wide open on this play fake 26 yard gain gets the bears down uh, to the one yard line on third and one couple plays later, Jason McKee, the fullback when fullbacks were still a thing, barely hanging on, but they were still a thing in 2008 rumbles it in from one yard out to cap the scoring at 29 to 13 with uh 8:56 to go in the fourth quarter and that's pretty much a ball game right there it it became the Colts passing and trying to get down the field uh the Bears harassing manning you know incomplete passes not getting far enough they had another turnover on downs uh at one point uh and everything Bears hang on to win it 29 to 13 and uh, one thing they put in there was that the loss for the Colts snapped a 21-game winning streak for Indianapolis in September and October games. They hadn't lost an early game since 2004. Uh, and also, Jeez. it snapped a 56-week reign at the top of the AFC South. The Titans had won their game, so they're 1-0. With the Colts falling to 0-1, they are no longer in first place and the AFC South, and therefore snapping their fifty-six week uh, reign atop their uh, own division. So the Bears just causing all kinds of problems with an early win against the Colts uh, in this football game.
1: Were you disappointed like I was that they didn't just keep giving it to Matt Forte to give him one more touchdown in his rookie game, like his rookie debut? Like I, I, I know, like they gave him one on first and goal at the one, and he didn't yeah. get in. So like I I, I get that, like they. They tried it because then on Jason McKee's play, it was like they put Forte at tight end and basically just had like four tight ends and then the fullback was the only guy in the backfield and jammed <laughs> it up the middle. And it was like, I know, it feels a little bit touchdown vulture to me, but hey, it, got, it helped get Jason McKee the, the sideline radio job for ESPN this season and for the Bears broadcast. So he's you know he's doing something <laughs> with
2: it. Well, he's also the head coach at Carmel High School as well.
1: I believe so, yeah.
2: Yeah, because him and Crutes uh, have their podcast and 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 mac always has to talk about his uh, Carmel caramel corsairs uh over and over again during the football season so you know yeah he's he's getting things done but uh <laughs> but you know there it was uh awesome debut from matt forte a surprise win from the bears that nobody outside of the bears probably thought was going to happen uh matt forte finishing his rookie debut with 23 carries 123 yards and that 50-yard touchdown in the first quarter to go along with 18 receiving yards on uh 3 catches. So a 140-yard plus offensive debut along with a touchdown uh you know, welcome to Chicago Matt Forte.
1: Yeah, I mean, how I couldn't think of a better Welcome to Matt Forte and a better like omen for what his career was going to be. I mean, even that season as a whole, I I I didn't fully realize that like he set the Bears rookie records for, you know, rush attempts and and rushing yards. And also he still holds the single season rookie record for receptions in a season for a rookie with 63. Like they never had a rookie wide receiver have more receptions than Matt Forte did that season. And then, of course, Jordan Howard broke his rookie rushing yard record in 2016, but still like that's. It says a lot about him, especially on a year like that when the offense really didn't have much else to write home about.
2: Yeah, Forte finished 1,715 yards, 12 touchdowns, eight rushing, four receiving, uh, 1,238 yards uh, rushing and eight touchdowns, uh, like you said, 477 yards on 63 catches and four touchdowns uh, coming out of the, uh, the backfield. And this was just the beginning. We had eight years like this. Uh, from from Forte because not only was he extremely productive but he was also always playing so he was always doing things like this and I think it was oh nine or or twenty ten what was the year that he had that he set the record for catches for a running back because he had oh. like one hundred and three like he it was Larry Centers and then finally Forte you know got like one hundred and three catches to break the record was it was it twenty eleven was it. Something 2014 like, 2014 got yeah, so I mean it was one of those years where like it was getting a little tacky at the end because they were clearly going for the record uh and everything, but he did it. He ended up breaking uh the record for receptions by a running back in that uh in that season, and that's what he ended up doing um but it's like you know he was just as big a threat coming out of the backfield as a receiver than he was. Uh, running the football I mean I'm sure his his highlight reel is littered with him making big catches one that comes to mind is like the 90 yard screen pass he had against the Lions uh, in in one game at home for the Bears he did it again against the the Falcons one year uh, as well you know catching ball out of the backfield the next thing you know 80 yards later Forte scored a touchdown uh, that kind of thing so yeah very productive rookie season and you know, probably one of the better debuts a rookie has had in a bear uniform um, in recent memory.
1: Yeah, like you were saying, it's it's hard to find it's hard to find anybody else even close, and to be able to to be able to do it in in that kind of fashion was was so much fun to watch, and, yeah, and fun and, to rewatch again through it.
2: And to do it on national television, you know, uh, basically introducing yourself to the world in that moment uh, and, and all that kind of stuff, it was uh, you know one hell of a debut. Uh, for Matt Forte, especially, you know, going into that, giving it the proper context. We, we we obviously, we made the wrong choice sending, you know, Thomas Jones to the Jets in 07, uh, you know, having gotten rid of the guy that we kept instead of him just before the season started and handing the keys to, you know, this rookie that hasn't played it down yet, wasn't a high draft pick. I mean, a second-round pick is high, but, you know, when you weren't the first running back taken, Richard Mendenhall uh, coming out of Illinois, a local kid, was the, you know, the top pick or the top running back in that draft, I believe. But, you know, you're a second-round pick. You weren't even the top pick in your draft class and so on and so forth. For you to come out and make a, a high-level debut like that, just a, a remarkable turn of events here, and, like, one that really nobody saw coming, so...
1: That, that draft started with Darren McFadden as the top running back Darren there, and McFadden,
2: then you had yes. Felix
1: Jones, Richard Mendenhall, and Chris Johnson were taken before Forte okay. as well. Those were the first-round guys. Yeah, Nice. Yeah. A good running back class, and Forte stands out as one of the best, if yeah. not, I mean, probably not better than CJ2K, but certainly one of the best in that class.
2: I don't know. I'd argue with you about that one. I mean, I know that he didn't have a 2,000-yard 2000 season, 2000 season like Chris Johnson did, but... Was Chris Johnson as dangerous coming out of the backfield? Like, like, I think maybe Forte was more of a complete back than Chris Johnson sure. was. I think Chris Johnson, you know, he got it done, but he was more of a speed guy, whereas Forte seemed like more of a utility guy. He could run you over, he could shake you out of your shoes, catch the ball out of the backfield, that kind of thing, so... I will yeah. say, I mean,
1: not, not, not that we need to do this debate, but Chris Johnson's first six seasons were all 1,000-yard years, and he had seasons with 14 and 11 touchdowns. I mean, obviously as, as a runner, but he had a couple of years with like four or 500 receiving yards, so certainly not the receiving back that, that Forte was, but mm-hmm. it, he, he certainly started out stronger. Forte had a little bit more longevity to it.
2: Yeah. No, I mean, he was a stud for sure. Definitely uh, a, a number one, a very, su- like a surprise first round pick for the Titans that kind of came out of nowhere. I remember the Titans were kind of scrutinized for making that pick, but he did everything to prove the Titans right. As far as, you know, making him a first round pick and, and, and what he gave them uh, during his time uh, with the team. So the aftermath of this game is that um, I wouldn't go so far as to call this a week one fluke type win, but um, it wasn't really the consistency that we saw in this game. Constantly, you know, the, the consistency of getting after Manning and, and, you know, and, and kind of dominating the team and, and winning the same way all the time. The Bears lost two straight after this. Um, they lost to Carolina week two. And then one of the more frustrating losses I can remember uh, was to the Buccaneers week three. And what was frustrating about that is that it's a game the Bears should have won because I remember vividly it's overtime and I think I even think it was third down. The the Bears stopped the, the Buccaneers, and then it was that old rule of why you never hit somebody back, because the referee always sees the second guy. They never catch the first guy who, you know, took the first blow, and this is what happened. Peanut Tillman got caught being the second guy. It gave the the Buccaneers a fresh set of downs. They kicked the game-winning field goal. The Bears lose the game. Because Peanut Tillman was the second guy, and he got caught um, by the referees. They lost that. Then following week, the Bears beat the Eagles on Sunday Night Football, so apparently they can only win football games on Sunday night. And um, big win over the Lions week after that, 34-7. And then... Do you remember the Falcons game in
1: 2008? Uh, is, this the, is this the one where like, there's a, kick, a big kickoff with like 10 seconds left and then uh, like late late in the game like, the Bears kick it off and the, the Falcons get a big return and then like a Hail Mary type play to set up a game-winning field goal with no time left?
2: It wasn't a big return. I think it was some kind of, I think, they I want to say they kicked it out of bounds or something. It. Like they went to pooch kicking and it went out of bounds or something like that and they i mean it was after speaking of Rashid Davis it was after the bears were losing they drive down the field orton hits rashid davis for a for the what we thought was the game winning touchdown with seconds left in the game i think the bears pooch kick it or something to the falcons and they got one play and they they just like the bears were in like full prevent whereas like they were not going to let anything get behind them so the falcons took what was in front of them because it was enough to put them in field goal range and they kicked the game winning field goal to steal that bear steal that game from the bears so at that point in the season the bears are 3 and 3 when they should really be like 5 and 1 cuz they should have won that buccaneers game they definitely should have won that falcons game they should be 5 and 1 they're 3 and 3
1: and, um, I had forgotten. I had forgotten that Falcons game even happened, and now thank you. I guess or yeah, maybe that, not. So thank you for reminding me. That was traumatizing cause... for me. That's God. why I
2: can't, I remember I was watching that at my buddy's house. He and I were losing our minds. Rasheed Davis comes down with that ball. Uh, you know, we've won the game. We did it, man! Oh my God, we're gonna win this game. And then it's just like there's no way. There's not enough time. And it was like watching the, you know, the Chiefs Bills. Uh, playoff game is like there's no way they're pulling this off in 13 seconds and sure enough they did and then you're just sitting there with your jaw on the floor you cannot believe this actually happened to you you know and it did
1: yeah and i i pulled up i pulled up the game so yeah robbie gold did a 36 yard kickoff that got taken back 10 yards so the falcons started at their own 44 matt ryan hits michael jenkins gets his toes inbounds with one second Left and they the, they challenged it or the, the the referees reviewed it to make sure he got his feet in bounds and there was still time left on the clock so that they got him to the thirty yard line and then forty eight yard field goal with one second left as time expired.
2: Jason and, Elam, right? Yeah, Jason Elam. Jason Elam, I remember. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then next week, years of therapy had had undone that for me. But thanks no, for bringing it back.
2: No problem, man. No problem. Your therapist <laughs> will, uh, you know, can give me a, send me a Christmas card because I just sent him and his kids to Hawaii or something like that. But um, yeah, really. then next week, uh, a, a game that was featured on a Retro Rewind episode last week, or last year, I should say, uh, the, uh, the 48-41 victory over the Vikings that featured the quarterback battle of Kyle Orton versus Gus Farratt. And <laughs> somehow we got 89 points out of that matchup. And uh, myself and, and my good friend Chris Gates from the Daily Norseman uh, you know, went back and forth on that game because we watched it again and we still couldn't believe it. Somehow Gus Farotten and and, and uh, Kyle – I was going to say Randy Orton. Kyle Orton uh, gave us 89 points and the Bears come out ahead 48-41 uh, in that one. So that made us 4-3 and three going into the bye week. We come out of the bye, finishing the sweep of the Lions, and then we lose to the undefeated at the time Tennessee Titans – and then get mauled by the Packers 37-3. We're back to 5-5. Five and five. We beat up on the god-awful Rams 27-3 the week after that. Get smoked on Sunday night football by the Vikings in the rematch that featured a 99-yard touchdown catch from Bernard Berrien. And, um, yeah, 34-14, to we just got smoked uh, in that one. We beat the Jaguars to go to seven and six. We beat the Saints on uh, Thursday night football. We're eight and six. We get a win over the Packers on Monday Night football. We're up 20 to 17, so we're nine and six. Going into week 17, all we have to do is beat the Houston Texans, and we are in the playoffs. We are the six seed going into the playoffs. And Andre Johnson was just too much for us that day. We come up short thirty one to twenty four we missed the playoffs at nine and seven. It gets the Eagles in, who then go on a historic run to make it all the way to the NFC championship before falling short against the you know the juggernaut that was the Arizona Cardinals and Larry Fitzgerald uh, in the playoffs, falling just short in the NFC championship game, um, setting up one of the more entertaining Super Bowls of all time, by the way, the Cardinals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Super Bowl 43 but that's how the season shook out for the Bears coming up just short and you know so many times at least two two games that we talked about early on they win either one of those games they make the playoffs and who knows what happens in the postseason but we'll never know because they did lose those games and when it mattered most to get a win they came up short and missed the playoffs.
1: Yeah, you do got to feel like, okay, they make they make the playoffs that season. Maybe they can win a game. I don't know. See, if they would have been the sixth seed, they would have probably played. I don't know who the three seed would have been that year. But maybe at best they could pull off one kind of game. But like you said, like the Cardinals were such a juggernaut that season. And if they had that much trouble with, with Andre Johnson and other receivers that year, like Fitzgerald was going to do a lot of his damage. And, and those McNabb Eagles teams were really good, too. So, yeah, you would have liked to see them make the playoffs there and, and not have that tough one against the Texans. But. It wasn't. I don't think we had aspirations of some kind of return to the Super Bowl with, with that team specifically.
2: The Vikings were the three seed. It would have been Bears-Vikings oh. in the first round. Um, and it's it's tough to say how that one would have gone. The Bears-Vikings history would tell you the Vikings were going to win because they always won in Minnesota. The Bears always won in Chicago. But having split the season series, that would have been the rubber match the Bears would have gone to the Vikings in the, uh, in the first round. But instead, the Eagles did, and they ended up beating the uh, Minnesota handily, 26-14. to 14. Then they go to the one seed, who were the Giants, the defending world champions. The one seed get beat by their division rival in the first round, so they go all the way to the NFC championship game. It was a 4-6 matchup in the NFC title game that year. <laughs> Four-six matchup because the uh, the one-seed Giants and the Carolina Panthers, the two-seed, both lost their home games in the divisional round. So four versus six in the NFC title game. And conversely, on the AFC side, it was two versus six in the uh, AFC championship game. So the six seed made it to the conference title game on both sides. The Ravens were the six seed, beat the Dolphins in the first round, beat the number one Titans, who were like, Fourteen and two, 13 and three, or whatever that year, choked their ass in the first round of the of the playoffs, and Baltimore and Pittsburgh in the AFC Championship game, and the Pittsburghs and the Steelers beat the rookie Joe Flacco to go to the Super Bowl and, and eventually beat the Cardinals in the uh, Super Bowl that year. So,
1: and the Eagles only make the playoffs that season because they tied in the regular season at nine and six and one to be a, ahead of the Bears. Man, yeah.
2: <laughs> But if the Bears win that 10th game, the Eagles are watching the playoffs from home instead of making this historic run all the way to the NFC title game. It's crazy. It's crazy.
1: Well, and the Bears would have been 10-6 and six with the same record as the Vikings. Do you remember if the Vikings would have had tiebreakers there or not? Or if the Bears Ooh, could have been the, the three and the, the, the three? Well, you know and what? Vikings would have
2: been six? What I remember is that there was no discussion about the Bears actually winning the division. It was the sixth seed or nothing. So I guess the the tiebreakers were all in Minnesota's favor because what I remember was that the bears make the playoffs if they win this game, but that they would be the six seed. There was no talk of them actually being the division champion. Not that I could remember anyway.
1: Yeah. Cause cause the Vikings and bears were both nine and six entering the final week of the season. Vikings won bears lost. But if you remember it that way too, then that would be that that seems likely then cause they'd split the division series. You know, that they're the two head to head games, mm-hmm. uh, Vikings had, didn't do much better than the Bears in terms of, like, in-division records, but we don't, we don't need to sit here and calculate tiebreakers from 2008. <laughs> but,
2: I mean, you know, but that's, that's how it was. It was such an up-and-down year uh, for them. They, they, they have this amazing win week one, a very solid establishment-type win, and then lose two straight after that. You know they beat the they beat the Eagles, so they had the head to head. God forbid, uh, over the Eagles on that one, and you know they sweep the Lions, they split with the Packers, they split with the uh, split with the Vikings, but they had those two bad losses against the Bucks and the Falcons early on, and they choked against the Texans uh, at the end of the season. You know, and they ended up uh, they ended up missing out. So. It was, uh, it was too bad, too bad. Cause 2009, they actually went down the tubes almost immediately because they lost Erlacher week one, uh, against the, uh, the Packers. He breaks his wrist, has to have surgery, misses the entire 2009 season. And, uh, you know, that season did not go well, uh, for the bears at all. You know, instead of going nine and seven and being on the fringe of making the playoffs in 08, they, uh. Well, they finished seven and nine, so not awful, but they were not a good football team in '09. Even with the addition uh, of Jay Cutler, we, you know it hurt us bad not having Erlacher in that all season. Not to mention, we went to Cincinnati week seven that year, and Cedric Benson only ran for like a buck eighty and three touchdowns uh, against the Bears uh, in that game. So the the Cedric Benson revenge game was kind of ugly. Uh, for that one uh, as well so quite the uh, quite the turnaround and oh my god as I'm as I'm looking at this the Bears they lost that first game to Green Bay they won three straight and so they're three and one going into a week four week five by then they lost one two three four five six seven eight of the next ten games
1: with a lot of a lot of turnovers along the way. I mean, that was that was Jay Cutler's twenty six his, t- his touchdown interception ratio was one to one, twenty seven to twenty six that season. There's clearly some some rust being knocked off there and trying to get used to a new team, new offense, new new receivers that wasn't even really real receivers. I mean it was what Hester Bennett Knox Aroma should do was that offense. I mean yeah. it was it was rough.
2: Yeah, 2009 was the aroma Aromaschidu game, Week 16 against the uh, Vikings on Monday Night Football, overtime. Yeah, yeah. What a what an epic moment that was with Aromaschidu wide open, walk off touchdown, send the Vikings home. No home field advantage to, to, for them
1: to get to six and nine. Yeah, great.
2: Yeah, <laughs> to get to six and nine, capped it off with a win against the Lions the week after to finish seven and nine. Big whoop, but. uh, Oh, Lauren, if you want to talk about a a, a peak moment in the history of this podcast, go back and listen to my review of the Bears 49ers Thursday night game. Do you remember that game at all? Which year? 2009. Thursday night football, Mm. week number 10, Bears at 49ers, Singletary was the head coach, and Cutler throws five interceptions in that game, three of which bounced off of his receivers. Like they were deflected uh, ricochet passes, but the other two were egregiously bad throws, including like, despite the fact that he's thrown four interceptions last play of the game, the bears still have a chance to win this game. They're, they're down 10 to six. And the problem is everybody knows he's throwing the ball. To Greg Olson, he's going for Olson. It's going to be into the end zone, and he th- he throws it to Greg Olson. Even though everybody knows that's where it's going, I think Olson was like triple covered on the play. He tries to squeeze it in there anyway. It gets picked off, and I pop a gasket on my review of the game. Had to put the explicit tag on it the whole nine yards, man. It is a <laughs> a watershed moment for the podcast because it's one that my OG listeners refer back to all the time because I lost my mind sitting through this game. It was, well, we we had won one game against the Cleveland Browns. Big whoop. It's like we were three and one. We lose two straight. We beat the Browns and we were in the midst of another four game losing streak at the time. The 49ers who were like the first team on the schedule in a while, that we were better than like we should have won this game. And instead we couldn't get out of our own way. And it was like one of the rare times in the Oh nine season, the defense actually stepped up and played well. Whereas like, if you look at the scores, the defense has given up points. Like people breathe air in 2009. We were terrible on defense in Oh nine. And we, we hold our team. We hold our opponent to 10 points and lose 10 to six. I went out of my mind. Um, And the funny thing was, (laughs) I recorded the show on a little hand recorder, what I used to record my knee jack reactions on. I'm literally sitting in the driveway of my apartment, screaming into this hand recorder for 23 minutes. And that was the episode. I didn't do bear ups or bear downs. I didn't do any other kind of analysis. I just screamed into this recorder for 23 minutes, posted it. That's the episode people still can't stop talking about. it. So, yeah, that was – that game against the 49ers, I, I, I lost my mind. Lost my mind. I was so pissed off, so fed up at the time. And I really wasn't even so much pissed at, at, at Cutler for the five interceptions, even though I was still upset that he threw to Olsen, even though everybody knew he was going to go there. He threw it to him anyway. And, you know, it was like I just was – I was pissed. Defense finally shows up. We only allow ten points, and somehow we can only score six. You know, it's like, what, what, is, what the F is going on? You know, MF this, son of a, you know, everything just absolutely lost my mind. And uh, people, a, people the love great it encapsul- yeah,
1: The great encapsulation of like your Bears experience. I mean, all, our collective Bears experiences <laughs> of that era.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was uh, you know, a great thing to behold at times. But uh, like we were talking about, you know, Angelo before, the bad moments are really bad. You know, it's like the good moments were great. The bad moments were epic in some ways, you know, and that was like a perfect encapsulation of it there. It's like we're not having a very good season right now. This is a game we definitely should have won against an inferior opponent, and we kept giving them chances. I mean, despite the fact we turned the ball over five times, we still only gave up ten points in this game, you know, and the only touchdown scored in the game was due to one of those interceptions, the Bears – uh, the defense, they were already like inside the 20-yard line and they scored the touchdown. It wasn't like they drove down the field or whatever. It's like the defense was really clamping down on the Niners and the one touchdown they gave up, their their backs were up against the wall. And, you know, somehow despite all of that, we still couldn't manage to figure it out and win the game. It was, yeah, I, I lost my mind after that game. I was, I was beside myself with anger. And I had a dickhead... Um, uh, neighbor who anytime that I, you know, that I farted loudly in my apartment, he'd call the police.
1: Oh, jeez! So oh, I figured that was why you did in the car.
2: Yeah. There was no way I could have done that rant in my apartment without having a SWAT team outside my door. So yeah, I, I did it inside my car, just outside my house. I lost it, man. I absolutely came to pieces in that car. 23 minutes of me just ranting, in the car. And I correctly predicted that we would not win another game until we played, like, I think the Rams or something like that. There was a, a team, like, I think actually it was, yep. uh, you know, until we, until we play the Rams because we got to play the Ravens at some point. It's like, we're not going to win another game until, like, December or something like that. And I ended up being right about that. It's like, we're going to lose the rest of these games. This is our best chance to win a game for a while, and we're not going to win another one for – you know, another three weeks, four weeks, whatever it was, and uh, yeah, it was it was bad. It was really
1: bad. He didn't didn't win another game until the one in ten St. Louis Rams came to town, led by Kyle Bowler. <laughs> uh, who was the coach
2: at that time? Was it uh, Spagnola? Spags. Yeah, yeah.
1: Poor but Brassley. Steven Jackson was fun to watch. I loved. I loved. He's one of my favorite running backs. Man, I yeah. love that.
2: Yeah, he was. Uh, he was solid. So. Anyway, that is the week one 2008 recap retro rewind for Bears Colts. An impressive debut for Matt Forte, an introduction of what we could expect from him in his eight years in a Bear uniform. And, um, you know, one of my favorite players to ever wear a Bear. And speaking of uniforms, love the white on white.
1: Oh, I wrote that down. I did. I forgot to bring it up, but yes. Wrote that down. All whites look good. That was a great combo.
2: Yeah. Uh, love, the, love the white on whites. I just always preferred the white tops, dark bottoms. That's my favorite Bears uniform is the white tops, dark bottoms. But the white on whites, it's a clean look. I love it. And, of course, you know, having to endure orange on orange, uh, you know, <laughs> last year, a lot of people calling for – why don't we just do the polar bear, get, you know, do a white helmet with the white on whites. And, you know, I like, I think that would look amazing actually, yeah. you know, to have, and it's like, but the caveat is it has to be the orange sea with the dark outline. So, you know, orange sea, mm-hmm. Navy blue trim on the logo blue face mask, white helmets, white tops, white bottoms, that's, that would be the, the best alternate uniform in the history of the league right there. That would look smoking hot right there.
1: Oh, Side me up every game.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I would just look fantastic. So for some reason, they're obsessed with the goddamn orange. I don't
1: get it. I don't hey, get Kevin, it. Kevin Warren will get all that orange out of there. We can blame Ted Phillips for the hey, orange man, about that? I'd
2: like to get a phone call with that guy. I'd be like, please, just don't do this to us anymore. The orange on orange. I wanted to stab my eyes out in, in those two games where we, we wore it last year. It was just god awful to look at. Like, it's I just like make
1: the stadium all orange.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Let's do that. So I'll never watch another goddamn <laughs> Bears game again if we do the all orange thing. That's just oh so painful, so painful. But um, anyway, any final thoughts for this uh, for this game?
1: I think it was a great choice. I'll say that. Uh, just like looking back over, I got a full sheet of notes from watching this game. It was it was a lot of fun to go back through. You you really pick up so much on things you saw the first time that you didn't. You know, certainly for me, I was you know twelve years old. It was more than half of my life ago, which is weird <laughs> to say out loud. Uh, I can pick up so much more now, actually, like knowing a little bit more of what I'm looking at. And yeah, yeah, it was it was a fun one for sure.
2: Yeah, I I remember watching the game. Uh, I was at my buddy's place, and uh, we just finished. Uh, eating dinner, and um, his, his wife basically insisted that we eat at the table, even though the game was starting. So we just got back to the living room, literally like the second drive where, like, second, third play that we're actually sitting down watching it. Forte breaks one for the, for the touchdown. So I was like, yeah, I'll take that. It was like considering that going back and watching it, again, nothing really happened in those first couple of drives until – Forte went nuts and, 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 you know, ran it in for a touchdown. I, I do remember distinctly, you know, having to eat at the table and then listening to the game, trying to peek over my shoulder to see what was happening and, and whatnot. Um, and uh, basically sitting down to watch it for good, and then the first one of the first things that happens was that the rookie breaks one off for 50 yards and a touchdown. I was like, well, this didn't suck. All right, how about that? So Good,
1: good thing you didn't, you didn't miss history. That's good.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, um, you might be interested uh, in this, or this might interest you. I should say, next episode I'm doing uh, next week. I'm uh, Eric Lambert from Sports Mockery is coming on to the show, and we are going to do a top ten favorite slash hated draft picks of since 2000. So, and what I'm the the way that it is, and actually, I need to clarify this. It's 10 10 picks you loved, 10 picks you hated. And in context of this was a pick that I loved when the Bears made the pick, like almost like a knee-jerk reaction type thing. When the Bears made this draft choice, I was over the moon kind of thing, even though it was Gabe and that couldn't have gone any worse versus – I was, you know, I hated the fact that Bears drafted Kyle Long, even though that ended up working out like gangbusters or at least the first five years of a career, of his career. Anyway, you know, one of those plays, you're like, who the hell is this guy? And he becomes a household name uh, kind of thing versus somebody like, yeah. dude, I cannot believe we got this guy. This is so awesome. And he turned out to be a bum. So that's the, uh, that's going to be next week's episode as we go into the draft next week. So. Oh, that sounds like fun. Yeah. So I'll, uh. I'm, I'm, I'm interested in putting that list together, see what I come up with, looking at uh, 2000 to, you know, to now draft choices. It's quite a big window, a lot of picks, a lot of Phil Emery, Jerry Angelo draft choices in there. Yeah, it's uh, I don't think it's going to be too hard to fill out the hate list. I think I'm going to have a harder time picking out <laughs> the ones that I loved. So uh, should be interesting. But I'm, I'm looking forward to doing my homework and making that one happen. So. So, Lauren, before we let you go, yeah. where, can, uh, where can we keep up with you? Locked on Bears and so on?
1: Yeah, of course. You can hear me five days a week on the Locked on Bears podcast on YouTube as well. You can follow me on Twitter at Sports one been doing some different uh, live stream stuff with folks over at Bleacher Report. I'll be going live there a couple of different nights of the draft to break things down on the BR app as well. So it should be a fun time. And i uh, you know yeah, looking what? forward to coming back on here again soon.
2: When you were doing that a few days ago, I actually tried to get in on it. And every time I tried to go into the app would crash, you know, like I'd be able to audience in there. I don't know. I was able to pull it up, pull up on the app and I could actually see, you know, the window and I could see you talking and everything. But as soon as I, even if I tried to unmute the video, the app would crash. So after that happening like four times, I was like, well, I guess I'm not watching this. So (laughs) because literally every time I tried to do it, the app would crash and, like, oh, well, I guess I'm not watching it. I can't say hi. You're like, hey, man, you know, that kind of thing uh, in, the, in the chat or, or whatever. So just, uh, yeah, it's like I tried to watch it, but every time I tried, the app would crash. I was like, nope, not happening. Not this yeah. time. So, not,
1: not meant to be. No, that's weird. I guess not. Well, yeah, I wish, no. wish I had a good answer for you.
2: Yeah. so But anyway, yeah, keep an eye on him for uh, Bleacher Reports at Cox Sports 1. Is
1: it Twitter and Instagram? Do you have an Instagram? Uh, not, not for, not for sports I or anything. Right, I'm only right. like private one, but sure, not sure, anything sure. crazy.
2: All right. And obviously locked on bears five days, uh, five days a week. You are just about sick of coming up with draft stuff as we, uh, yeah, we or, went into the last eight days before the draft.
1: Yeah. Scraping the bottom of the barrel a little bit here, yeah. but looking forward to it being over.
2: Yeah. 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 Well, at least, uh, you know, and, and unfortunately we weren't able to, suckle at the teat of who could make a trade for the number one pick because Ryan Poles pretty much got rid of it as soon as he got his hands on it kind of thing. Uh, with a full month and a half to go before the draft, he trades away the number one pick. So
1: um, Now we're doing, oh, well, could he trade the number nine pick? And where, yeah. can we, where could that pick go? We'll just recycle and do the same thing over again.
2: Yeah. Interesting scenario, though, while we're talking about it, um, about the Steelers trading up. Uh, to nine, and the possibility of us getting our Chase Claypool draft pick back. Like, that's one of yeah. the scenarios that I've seen is that the Bears drop down to 17 and get the 32nd pick in exchange. But I've also seen, you know, the Bears was like, if we get 32nd, then we like we swap picks, then like we drop from nine to 17, we get 32, but we give them 61 or something like that. Uh, in that scenario, and it's like, eh, I think I'd rather just have, you know, maybe the the, – because I think the Steelers have two – well, they obviously they do because we gave them one, two second-round picks. So, you know, maybe we just move back and get their other second-round picks so we have three second-rounders. It's like, that wouldn't suck. But uh, interesting scenario, especially for a team that just acquired Robin Allen Robinson in a trade today.
1: Yeah, reuniting Mitch Trubisky and Al Robinson. That's going to be fun.
2: That juggernaut of a passing duo. Good God. So, but yeah. So, we'll see what, what Poles does. I'm, I'm definitely in intrigued to see what happens, you know, because he's proven to be like, even in a very short tenure as our general manager, the most cool, calm, collected, and competent GM we've had in the position in my lifetime. So,
1: We'll see about the competent part. I mean, certainly yeah. there's a lot, and there's a lot to like so far. But it's been, it's been one year, and we'll see down the line how these how these moves pan out. But definitely, like cool, controlled, like always seems to be like one step ahead in a lot of ways. Like yeah. he, nothing seems to catch this team off guard or go like super unexpected. It's like yeah, we we knew we were going to be bad like when they were bad or when a certain position struggled. It wasn't like oh we thought they had this figured out and it, it turned out to be bad. It's like oh we we kind of knew. This, this is how it was going to go. Every, everything's been like, predictable in a good way so yeah. far.
2: Yeah, and he doesn't seem impulsive. You know, he doesn't seem impulsive like Ryan Pace was where he was always so eager to trade away assets to move up to get his guy. Even though he was mortgaging the future each time to do it, he seems much more content to you know fall back and, and see how the draft comes to him as opposed to him going up and getting someone that he has to have and, and giving up future assets to do it.
1: You, you could, could I could hear someone making the argument that I don't know. I, I don't know that I would agree with this, but does the chase Claypool trade feel like um, impulsive a little bit to get a wide receiver at the trade deadline, just to make sure you get somebody. And then I don't know if you think about being, they didn't trade Tevin Jenkins, but fairly quick to, to that becoming a really, concrete thing that the bears were potentially exploring. And then also trading Roquan Smith. I mean, I don't know if those are quite impulsive, but they are, I don't know, decisive, I guess is, is a yeah, better it? It
2: did, it did send a mixed message at the time, you know, especially we trade Robert Quinn. Then we trade Roquan Smith. That's like, okay, we're, we're, you know, banking picks for the future. Then we gave up a second round pick for chase Claypool on the heels of that. It's like, wait, so we, are we, are we trying to win? This year, or are we, you know, packing it in to try and win in 2023 uh, kind of thing? And it's like, we're, we're you know, we're, we're building for the future, or are we trying to help Justin Fields now? It was like the, those two moves did kind of, you know, cancel each other out, especially at the time. But, you know, what are you going to do? So we'll see how it goes. We only have to wait another eight days to find out how that first round uh, is going to, uh, to factor out. And then we've got, what, like four or five picks on Friday? At least uh, at least three, three or four, on uh, day two, in the second and third round.
1: So, yeah, yeah, it's four, three in day two, and then another I think five on the on the last day of the draft. Yeah. Plus, if if they trade down, no six on the last day of the draft because it's two fourths, two fifths, and two sevenths. So a lot of a lot of room to move up and down if they want to. Right.
2: Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. So, all right, Lauren, thank you so much uh, for joining us. We look forward to. Uh, to having you back on uh, at some point and uh, yeah be sure to check them out at Cox Sports 1 online and uh, Locked on Bears podcast five days a
1: week thanks so much man hey anytime thanks for having me <laughs>
2: Are you still here? If you are, give yourself a pat on the back and uh, have a scoop of ice cream on me. It's uh, outstanding that you are still still with us after all this time. I, I praise you. Uh, I appreciate your loyalty and uh, so on and so forth. And, um, you know, basically just want to kind of go off like one of the last points I made there was the next episode next week with our friend Eric Lambert from sportsmockery.com talking about that top ten list of picks we loved, picks we hated, uh, and and more like like I said in the vein of like a knee jerk reaction kind of thing. Not like how do you feel about the pick now? How did you feel about the pick when it was made? Did you did you love the pick and it turned out to be a bad call? Did you hate the pick and it turned out to be someone who you know became a long time you know stud? For us, did you love it and it worked out? Did you hate it and you were right? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, I can't wait to see what uh, what kind of lists uh, both Eric and I put together. Uh, that episode should drop Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, at the absolute latest uh, to give it a chance to breathe a little before the draft kicks off on Thursday. We will have a draft recap uh, episode uh, the following week. And then after that, we'll have the schedule release episode. And then at the end of May, we will start our uh, opponent preview series. And that will carry us pretty much into training camp in the preseason. And then we're off to the races gang. We got the, we got the preseason reviews. Then we got the week one and then, you know, back to the old schedule where I'm pretty much, you know, hitting you in the face with a whole bunch of me for the rest of the season. So, uh, you know, happy and healthy. Unlike uh, having to miss most of the end of uh, last year with my uh, with my medical issues, but like I said, happy, healthy, raring to go, and uh, looking forward to twenty twenty three, which is something we were doing even before twenty twenty two. So, hopefully, this year will pay off for us. And you know, even if the Bears don't go ten and seven or eleven and six or whatever, and make the playoffs or whatever, just looking for great improvement that will set things up for 2024 and beyond. And if we get an immediate return this year and the bears are studs and they do wonderful things and whatnot, then that's a bonus uh, for us. But um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what happens this year. uh, What polls is going to do with this draft and and, uh, how we're going to do moving forward. But um, so come on back next week for the, uh, for the love, hate picks uh, episode And uh, until then, uh, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground.